And welcome once again to Father Spitzer's Universe at the busy intersection of faith and reason. Can we use it now? I'm Doug Keck, your gatekeeper for the program. Remember, your questions are so important to Spitzer's Universe at EW10.com. That's how you get onto the program and check out all of Father Spitzer's websites, MagisCenter.com, CredibleCatholic.com, and PurposefulUniverse.com, which is really good for people, especially who need an introduction to what's going on out there in the world and how the church has a great response. Father Spitzer's Universe always available on the EW10 On Demand page, of course, and our EW10 YouTube channel. And we recently added Speaking of Saints, a very popular series featuring Susan Conroy to our On Demand page. Each week, every day, new programs going on there. And on the On Demand page, they're all free. You can watch them anytime. So, uh, uh, and of course, Father Spitzer's show is not only on demand, it is in demand. And our topic today, we're going to be talking about customizing temptation. It's something I've been working on for several years from Father's book, Christ versus Satan in Our Daily Lives, available through the EW10 Religious Catalog naturally. And of course, we assume you already have it. The book of the month from EW10 is Catholic Essentials, a guide to understanding key church teachings by the one and only Father Wade Menesis, of course, very popular here at EW10. Speaking of popularity, we have our own Father Spitzer. Great to see you, Father. Great to be with you too, Doug. I'll start us with a prayer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your many blessings to us, especially the blessing of our faith and uh, the church and our uh, good Lord who guides us. We ask you today to send your Holy Spirit down upon us, Doug, myself, our whole audience this day, so that everything we do and say will be brought to fruition in your will for the good of your people, your church, and your kingdom. Please bless us and our families. Please bless our country. Please bless our church through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Amen. And Mary, seat of wisdom, pray, pray for, for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So uh, before we get into our topic, I think the devil's been pretty active uh, in the world yeah. uh, recently. Okay. And uh, one of the things that you may not always be able to tell from the mainstream news, but I know the USCCB put out uh, a document uh, about two weeks ago, and at the time it was 139. I think the number is closer to 150. Incidents have, have happened across 35 plus states yeah. in the United States just since May of 2020. So we're talking about basically a little over the last two years, including arson, statues beheaded, limbs cut, smashed, painted, anti-Catholic language, etc., and all that's going on. And now we're moving into uh, the sphere now with the, uh, what happened with the leaked document out of the Supreme Court uh, that we're seeing an additional wave of violence. Do you think there's always been this underlying anti-Catholicism out there? Well, you know, our country certainly has had its ups and downs in that area. I mean, we had a period where the Ku Klux Klan had a, an enormous influence, not just in the South, but uh, mm -hmm. in many different places, and uh, not particularly a pro-Catholic movement. Uh, we've also had a lot of anti-Catholicism in our country, uh, starting with its origins, uh, but then subsiding, then coming back again, then subsiding. Uh, now, of course, we see resurgences of it because of, as you just pointed out, uh, the Dobbs decision that's coming. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the Catholic Church has been vigilant in trying to make sure that we reverse the culture of death in our country. And um, 
moving into a culture of life and trying to restore uh, the state's right to, rights to determine uh, whether or not um, there's going to be um, uh, a culture of life in their state. Now, that should really belong to uh, to the states. It always did belong to the states until that crazy reversal mm. in Roe versus Wade, which is based upon shoddy science and shoddy judicial thinking from the very beginning. So the point, of course, is now every uh, movement when you're going to have a disappointing um, you know, result uh, for at least our opposition. Um, and uh, I think they got to find a scapegoat. Mm. And we're a very convenient scapegoat. And uh, as I say, why not? We should be. Um, you know, we've been vigilant about this. And, and if they want to scapegoat us, I consider it an honor, mm -hmm. a badge of honor that we get to be the scapegoat. Bring on, you know, I mean, I don't want to bring on the summer of rage, right. but go ahead. I mean, you know, if you want to honor us uh, with being the scapegoat for bringing a culture of life and ending a genocide, don't worry. History will vindicate us. And certainly, if not human history, mm -hmm. when we get to heaven, we'll surely be vindicated. Now, of course, uh, bringing about, you know, destruction um, you know, which is, of course, you know, what, what are they trying to defend anyway? Mm -hmm. uh, the destruction of human life. Well, if destruction Absolutely. of property is the price we have to pay to end the destruction of human life, then we have to pay it. We shouldn't have to pay it. It's not ethical. It shouldn't happen. But, you know, if that's the right. price you know, we have to pay, then I think we should pay it. And I think we should consider it a badge of honor. And I think the summer of rage is outrageous. Right. And I think it should be followed up by us trying to promote a summer of peace, a summer of prayer, and above all, a summer that is committed to a culture of life. Right. And, uh, and of course, as you were indicating, uh, at least you know you m might have some impact, that you're having impact, that you matter, yeah. that people care about what you're doing. And to some degree, yeah. it, it, you know, you see this, and uh, I don't want to overplay it, but uh, almost demonic kind of rage that you see oh, yeah. people in, that you, you say to yourself, this, this is beyond normal you know, political or personal upsetment. It really transcends that. And there's an article I wanted to point out, Kathleen Parker for the Washington Post, uh -huh. who I don't believe is Catholic, uh, she might be Episcopalian. Uh, she was talking about the recent attacks on the on the clinics that are have picked up, obviously, with this, but also the the plot on uh, on on Kavanaugh. And to some degree, she makes the point yeah. that uh, you know, if you're looking for stories about this or the bombings of the clinics, you likely have to find them only in religious news outlets like CNA, which is another reason why we have CNA and the world over and EWTN News Nightly and in depth because we do cover these stories. They, and she also pointed out to follow up on what you said, it's terrible irony that the people who want to protect life must put their own lives at risk. Maybe violence is what we should expect when abortion, one of the most violent acts conceived by humankind, is ground zero. I couldn't have said it better. She's right on the marker. Mm. She's absolutely got it. You know, violence begets violence. And that's just the way it is. Mm -hmm. And she's got it right out there. And abortion is as violent as it comes. No, of course, people want to hide it. People don't want to admit it. It's covered over with euphemisms. But at the same time, it's violence par excellence. 
and uh, we can expect that more violence will come from it. Uh, the idea of needing a scapegoat and mm -hmm. using violence as a means of promoting the scapegoat. You know, I mean, uh, let's face it, it just, uh, nothing good's going to happen from it, but uh, let them, uh, let them rage on. Mm -hmm. uh, our, our vigilance, as Churchill would put it, should just increase proportionately. Our sense of dignity and honor should increase in, in direct proportion to, right. to the rage that, that's exerted upon us. Well, do you think in some ways it, it's a wake-up call also for maybe some of the lukewarm Catholics or moderate Catholics to see the level of animus that's actually out there? Well, so long as they can see it, but as you pointed out, mm -hmm. the press hides it as, as you know, best it can, right. uh, but ultimately, you know, um, it's going to get covered, you know, uh, with certain news outlets, and it's certainly going to get covered on EWTN if people are, are um, you know, tuned in or to other, um, you know, outlets like CNA that, that will probably no question cover mm. it. Uh, so at the end of the day, um, you know, people are going to find out. Uh, people at churches who are attending churches are going to find out. But I'm hoping that the lukewarm Catholics who might not be tuned in or mm. might not be at church, I'm just hoping that they can get the word. Because at some point, if they do get the word, that, you know, the churches are being attacked. And in local communities, when churches are getting attacked, that oftentimes does reach right. uh, the regular secular papers. And uh, not, not on the front page, for sure, um, but uh, it does mm -hmm. get to, to some parts of the papers often enough. And I think that causes people to really wonder, hey, wait a minute, you know, there's something really strange going on here. Do right. you think? Uh, right. Does it resemble? You know, all we need is, a, is a, the next stage instead of picking a baby apart, um, you know, a, a baby doll apart in front of St. Patrick's, old St. Pat's. Um, you know, mm -hmm. uh, maybe we'll get a, a good uh, torchlight parade from, right. the, um, from the good uh, pro-abortion people, too. Right, right. Reminiscent uh, of that fine period of history uh, yes. in German Nazis. I was going to say, uh, yeah. uh, Lenny Risenfeld <laughs> there, and uh, you know, yeah, uh, and Nuremberg, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Triumph for the will, <laughs> right? Right? All right. Yeah. Yes, we call right. Uh, yeah. So you've got uh, another story. that was interesting. U.S. abortion rate end rate ends decades long decline. Rate and number yeah. of abortions performed have increased from 2017 to 2020 under new data. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll tell you why that is in one word. RU486 and other um, abortifacients that are pharmaceutically induced. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, basically that's, that's the reason. And uh, the, uh, the wide availability of the, uh, the new pharmaceutical abortifacients. And um, uh, I do think, though, if we just looked at regular abortions... Uh, that are you know performed at uh, one of the uh, quote unquote mm -hmm. um, clinics, um, and we can see pretty much that the um, that the um, uh, the artificial abortifacients, the the pharmaceutical ones, they're the, the it's so easy uh, to do, and of course uh, now that in many states you don't even need a doctor's visit, uh, you know get a mail order prescription right. practically, right. Um, it's uh, it's easy enough, and people are doing that and. And so, uh, by the way, the report, I think, came from the Guttmacher Institute. Mm -hmm. Let us not forget uh, Guttmacher right. is the so-called so research institute of um, Planned Parenthood. Right. So um, that being the case, I would probably say that uh, 
um, you know, they're probably right in their statistics, uh, but I would say that it's, uh, it's a change in method once that's factored out mm -hmm. and uh, once we see a, a new curvature coming and uh, once we see, you know, the, uh, the difficulties that happen with uh, uh, the pharmaceutical abortifacients and once we also see uh, people, again, getting their conscience, getting hold of their conscience, when they see what they're really doing to destroy human life, um, uh, through these um, pharmaceutical abortifacients, some of them being administered uh, fairly long after pregnancy, mm -hmm. um, I think uh, I, we probably will see it even out and then we'll see um, the abortion rate again begin to drop. Okay. But uh, that's the real reason for it. Okay. Uh, another thing, um, you know, with obviously with uh, the Roe v. Wade issue and the Dobbs decision impacting on that, uh, you know, there's been some polling out there. There was one uh, that AP came out and said, you know, well, basically, uh, poll was conducted in mid-May, says shows a clear gap between the prevalent views of American Catholics and some of their high-profile actions taken by some of the church leaders. According to the poll, only 31% of lay Catholics agree that politicians supporting and then it goes on to talk about like what Cordelione did. Abortion rights should be denied. Communion wealth, 66% say they should have access to the sacrament. And the person writing the article noted that, uh, you know, who are these people in the polls who say they're Catholic? He says, a friend of mine who grew up in California but hasn't been to Mass in 35 years still marks Catholic on a form. He says, once Catholic, always Catholic. Yeah, well, that's indeed the problem of all polls. I remember uh, uh, Mark Twain's thought, you know, their lies, there's darned lies in their statistics, right. the worst of all, because you can lie so surreptitiously with them. Uh, and the point is, of course it matters who is being asked the question. Of course it matters what the question is. So we get a lot of these, uh, a lot of survey data mm -hmm. uh, from uh, places that are not necessarily um, unbiased, you mm. know, an AP poll, hmm, you know, I wonder if there's any bias there. You know, but years anyway, ago, the... you, you go back 25 <laughs> plus years, and the AP was considered to be yep. the most neutral kind of, they, they weren't, they, they yep. just reported the yep. story, but that's long that's gone. That's right, but not anymore, right. long right. gone, right. long right. gone. Yeah, so, uh, but anyway, um, uh, you know, uh, you can see that th mm -hmm. these uh, statistics are easily, easily uh, manipulable. And, um, and so when, when these questions are asked, we need to know what the questions are. We need to know the actual profile of the people who are being asked. Not just did they mark Catholic, but as you already noted, uh, Doug, or one mm -hmm. of the writers that you're referring to already noted, uh, right, it really matters whether the person is an, a church attending Catholic, whether they're a Catholic that really considers, um, the, you know, moral consistency to be important in their lives, mm -hmm. etc. That's, that's uh, uh, very relevant right. to, the, uh, to the data. And of course, that's not being separated out for the obvious reason, is that you can manipulate right. the data. And so, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, I, you know, as I've said before, if a bishop doesn't have a right uh, to determine um, whether or not a person who claims to be Catholic and then of course full out promotes nine months of abortion, promotes, I'm not saying tolerates, promotes mm -hmm. it, you know, actively and calls himself a good Catholic. If he doesn't have a right to correct that person, I mean, 
what power does he have left? Right. What teaching authority does he have? I mean, it's, I mean, you just made it vaporize. So you belong to a church without any teaching authority? You got a toothless church? I think a toothless church is a worthless church. Let's take a toothed church. And of course, yeah, I think I, we've, therefore... I think we've yeah, got a lot sorry. of toothless mainline churches already. Do we need any more? Yeah. I mean, even yeah. the Holy Father said to the Bishop uh, Batzing, I think, from Germany, you know, we don't really need another evangelical church, quote-unquote, in Germany. We already yeah, have one. Exactly. So, yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. We don't need and, another and I toothless think right, church. Yeah, and, and that's, that's, that's uh, you know, it speaks for itself. I, mm -hmm. I think, you know, if the church doesn't have teaching authority sufficient to influence its own members, let alone the culture, what are we here for? Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I mean, this is one of our primary functions, to be a shepherd, mm -hmm. to be someone who's helping to guide sheep that generally need guidance, right. as Jesus himself noted. Mm -hmm. Feed my sheep and tend my sheep. So, of course, we want to feed the sheep, too. That's another purpose of the church. The sacraments are really an integral mm -hmm. to that. The good news of Jesus Christ is integral to that. Hope for the world through Jesus Christ is integral to that. But teaching and moral authority is super integral to that. And so I think we don't, like I've already you know, said, right. we don't need a toothless church. Right. We need somebody who is willing to be put their, themselves on the line to give some moral guidance, just can't be nice to everybody. Right. Besides, uh, uh, you know, if you really believe, you know you're going to have to answer for what you did or what you didn't yeah. do. Yeah. I mean, Mother Angelica always said her greatest fear was to, when she died, that she would go there and, uh, and the Lord would say, can you imagine if you just trusted more, how much more you could have actually done? Yeah. And that was well. Mother's great fear. So we're all going to have to, you know, kind of account for ourselves whether we like it or not. It's not going to be a group photo, yeah. you know what I mean? So... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm hoping the Lord will say, well, you, you tried pretty good. Okay, Spitz, you, you're not in the caboose, but, you know, I'll, 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 I'll put you up one car. That's right. That, there you go. I'll take it. No, I'll get, uh, we'll put you in the side I'll car. I'll take the there. caboose. We'll take the yeah. side car. There you go. I'll take the caboose even. There it's getting go. in the right direction. Right. The one thing, just before I got the questions, uh, and it, the, uh, the author I want to give him uh, is... Uh, Randall Smith, actually, who wrote it. Uh, and he, he said, he was pointing out, it was an interesting, he said, what if we polled American Catholics on how many agree with the bishops on immigration or whether businessmen should pay a living wage as opposed to what the market determined or whether the majority of Catholics oppose capital punishment and how many were in favor of limiting gun ownership? And what would the results show if they were shared by most lay Catholics. Would the people trumpeting these, con these current polls on abortion write articles insisting the church change your teaching on these issues just because these people maybe disagreed with the perspective of the church? Yeah, well, there, there you go. I, hmm. I think uh, we need to treat uh, issues with uh, not only equality but objectivity. Hmm. And uh, there you go. I mean, I think he's pointing out the obvious. We have to... Uh, 
stick to our guns, stick to our teaching, because Jesus Christ is the inspiration of it through mm -hmm. the Holy Spirit, and the charism has been given to our church leaders and has been given to our church leaders over 2,000 years. That is why Jesus said, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of the netherworld will never prevail against it. Yes, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Think of that power to bind in heaven what you bind on earth. This given to uh, Peter and his successors. And don't say it wasn't. It was just for Peter and not for his successors. Hey, Jesus, well, why would he give a, an office of supreme authority uh, uh, to, to Peter uh, mm -hmm. all by himself? Why would he uh, give, why would he even make an office of supreme authority? Because he knew, he looked around him in his own culture. There he sees Pharisees and multiple factions of Pharisees and Sadducees and multiple factions of Sadducees and Essenes and multiple factions of Essenes and Zealots and multiple factions of Zealots. And you're looking at all these guys and what are they doing all day? Squabbling, squabbling, squabbling. And of course, are you going to get anywhere with all the group squabble? No. All you're going to get is factions and divisions. So Jesus, not being an unwise person, thinks to himself, I'm going to have an office of ultimate juridic, juridical and teaching resolution, ultimate juridical and teaching authority. And that's the only way to protect the unity of my church going forward. And that's the only way to achieve consistency of doctrine for the sake of the souls of the people, not just during Peter's time, mm -hmm. but for all the, the, the life of the church uh, up you know, to whenever uh, it should end and the second coming should happen which, by the way, the Son of Man doesn't even know when it's going to occur, says Jesus. Right? So basically, uh, he is, uh, of course, going to make this office indefinitely uh, for as long as the church lasts. And I think um, he has been uh, very, very... Um, um, you know, protective of the church through that papal office. Right. Look at the consistency of doctrine. Look at the catechism of the Catholic Church. Look at the, um, uh, certainly the unity of the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. I mean, we certainly haven't been promoting tens of thousands of denominations over the course of 500 years. I mean, uh, right. uh, we're pretty, pretty much unified. Yeah, we've had our squabbles. Oh, yes, we've had our internal dispute. But ultimately, it was resolved by the supreme authority of the pontiff of Rome. Very good. Let's move on to some questions that have come in uh, from previous programs. Dear Father Spitzer, on a recent show, you discussed the extreme secularism in public education. I'm a professor in business program at a secular institution. I would appreciate your thoughts on the role of practicing Catholics in the secular academy. Do you think it is possible for a devout Catholic to work in this kind of environment without losing their soul? A perplexed professor. Yeah, uh, well perplexed professor. <laughs> um, boy, I'll say that ten times. <laughs> but the, uh, the key thing is um, two, two, uh, uh, two, two thoughts come to mind. Uh, first of all, you know, I have known, um, you know, like uh, in very secular university environments, uh, professors who uh, were good Catholics or religious professors who banded together, uh, who tried to, uh, through banding together, uh, tried to promote... Um, you know, some form of spiritual life for the kids or discussions of G.K. Chesterton or discussions of 
um, you know, the Bible or something. And they actually uh, promoted those things, not not in their classes, right? Mm -hmm. But on the side, you know, uh, uh, you know, they would have a band of three or four or five people, and they would invite students that they knew had uh, religious orientations and so forth. And and those students, in turn, would invite other students who they met in the dorms who had the same kind of thing. And they did get together, and they actually. Uh, um, did have some really good discussion groups, very intellectual. I, I spoke on faith and science to many as a, a group in a secular university. Um, secondly, mm -hmm. you, you know, most secular universities, though not all, have some form of a Newman Center or a Catholic Student Center. Mm -hmm. Now, if you have a priest appointed to that duty, that's pretty good. And that means that you could contact that. I don't know if your university has mm -hmm. one, but um, if they do, that's another opportunity to connect with that fellow. And just if you have some kind of an expertise that you would want to contribute, um, you know, just by mm -hmm. helping out at the Newman Center, um, you know, you're, the, the college can't discriminate against you because you are helping on their Catholic Student Center, mm -hmm. helping to lead a retreat or helping to give a lecture or let's suppose you have a historical expertise you could get, maybe something, a church uh, history lecture of some sort or your science person, maybe a faith and science lecture, whatever. But the point is you could mm -hmm. actually connect up and, and do something with that Newman Center. Now, if you don't have a priest uh, at the Newman Center and maybe you have a lay staff person that's next best, uh, connect with that person. Uh, if a student is basically running a Catholic student group, um, you're gonna, you, you know, the poor things, you know, they're trying to go to school full time and they're, mm -hmm. they're doing just great things to try and keep the faith alive in these secular student campuses. But the main thing is see if you can find out who that person is who's running the Catholic Student Club. Uh, sometimes if you contact FOCUS, a fellowship of Catholic University students, they might know who such a student is on campus. Because some of those um, uh, ex-focus missionaries, they mm -hmm. kind of help out at state uh, campuses that don't have either a staff person that's funded by the diocese or a priest mm -hmm. at a Catholic student center. Um, those students are there and focus uh, can sometimes tell you who it might be or call the diocese and ask the diocese, oh, is there a Catholic student club at this particular secular university? And wow. um, if so, uh, how do you connect with that person and support them? But as long as you're trying to serve, I, I think your soul is going to remain alive. Mm -hmm. I know when you get into sometimes you get into the faculty meetings and the banter, you know, <laughs> is pretty, pretty secular. In fact, anti-religious is not just right. secular. It's right. very anti-religious sometimes. Uh, you know, you have to put up with it. But, uh, you know, what I, I find that when I just go, huh, just like that, or, you know, I just say, interesting, um, that's all, you know, that, that's the <laughs> warning uh, to people that I'm not in agreement with you. You don't have to get out there, mm. and especially, boy, if you don't have tenure, um, don't get out there out in front. Uh, as they say, keep your thinking to yourself, just say interesting or huh or something like that. Don't, don't, don't uh, uh, make an issue out of it until you get tenure. When you get tenure, of course, you got freedom. Mm -hmm. And then you can go ahead and be much more explicit about your faith, even in a faculty uh, meeting. But try to use, you know, secular terminology. And I think this is where the Catholic mm -hmm. Church really has some good arguments. I mean, we've just been 
natural law people from the very beginning. So we not only try and give a religious justification mm -hmm. for our thinking, we also try to give natural law justifications for our thinking. Uh, I've tried to help out a lot in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, I've written a couple of books. There's a book called um, um, uh, Healing the Culture, mm -hmm. uh, which is uh, basically a natural law argument. It's not a religious argument at all for how to defend pro-life philosophy. And then I have another one called Ten Universal Principles, uh, which is another uh, natural law approach um, to, uh, uh, in, in other words, mm -hmm. no religion in it, approach to um, to uh, these issues, uh, uh, life issues. And then I've got a brand new one coming out um, from Ignatius called The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church, a defense of her controversial um, moral um, teachings. Mm -hmm. And in that one, uh, it's all secular surveys um, that I use to justify the parallel between, you know, the decrease, if you don't follow the church's teaching, you'll also get a decrease in emotional health as measured by secular indices. You'll get a decrease in relational health as measured by secular indices, and you'll also get a decrease in marital health as um, measured by secular indices. Mm -hmm. So all those things, that'll be available probably in September. Uh, that's called The Moral Wisdom of the Catholic Church. But if you take those three mm -hmm. books, you can actually make some pretty good right. um, uh, moral cases uh, on a natural right. law basis for a wide range of issues right. like yeah, pornography, not only, homosexuality, not, not only will those books thing. give you a spiritual workout, they'll give you a physical workshop workout trying to lift <laughs> them up and carry them. So we're going to have to take a break. Father That's Spitzer, right. he likes to write. Boy, his, reading, his reads are great, though. Stay with us. Much more ahead with Father Spitzer. Thanks. And of course, we do appreciate you staying with us here in Father Spitzer's universe. Always interesting. And of course, it's interesting because we have the one and only Father Spitzer with us. And let me follow up on your last discussion about the, the perplexed professor who uh, was yeah. concerned about teaching in a secular school. What would you say? I mean, you here you are. You are a former president of a well-known Catholic university with a wonderful basketball team, uh, you know, of course. And... Uh, Bishop Sheen used to say at one time, I recall, I think the quote is something like, he would, he would tell people send their kids to a secular college where they'd fight for their faith rather than go to a Catholic college where it was taken away from it. What would you think about that statement? Well, that, um, that certainly would make sense um, if you really had a Catholic college that was so... Um, bad mm -hmm. that it basically was undermining the faith of the students and there are some out there that in fact do that mm -hmm. um, you know they have members of the theology department that are just head scratchingly undermining uh, the faith of these kids mm -hmm. and so I mean if you do have that situation much better that they just go to a secular um, university and participate in the Newman Center uh, I would say mm -hmm. though that now, one of the key criteria, if you you know if you're um, sending if you have to send your kids for, to a, a public school for whatever mm -hmm. reason, 
um, you know, probably finance as being a major one. Right. Um, right. If that is the case, then check out the Newman Center. Like you and said, there right. are some, yeah, there's some pretty good ones. Not just to have a priest there, but to have one of these kind of charismatic, good Orthodox priests who are on campus who really care about the faith life of the students. And they're out there promoting, you know, not just the devotions, but promoting some really good educational mm -hmm. things uh, and talks that really help build up the faith of the students. Because with a good Newman Center, you can do a ton mm -hmm. to build up the faith. And then when those students get out and they have to defend their faith in the secular milieu of the university, they actually do get sharpened. And I know a lot mm -hmm. of uh, great kids that have come out of secular uh, universities. Um, focus is another one. If there's a right. focus group on that secular university campus, that's always um, another plus plus and right. so forth. So if right. you kind of do a little research, uh, you can figure out which secular university to go to. But you got to realize that, that big, no, no matter where you send your kid, you've got to be careful and, and make sure yep. that you're aware of what, as we, yep. as I think so many people unfortunately found out yeah. during COVID, uh, to the extent that things were being taught that they were unaware of. So I think mm -hmm. that's a, it's a good warning for all of us. Here's another question, uh, a college student, dear Father Spitzer, I really enjoy your program. I have not really practiced my faith much in the past, but I'm beginning to wonder if I'm being called to the priesthood. How do I explore this further, Nick? Uh, well, Nick, the first thing, just uh, ask yourself three questions, and then I'll give you some follow-ups if the three questions are positive. First thing is, do you have a real uh, good, um, what I'm going to call, intellectual conviction uh, about your faith? In other mm -hmm. words, do you feel like you have a strong conviction about God, the soul, and Jesus, and the Catholic Church? Um, and if you feel that that conviction is there, Go to question number two. Mm -hmm. Is your um, kind of Catholic uh, conviction, is that so important to you that you are now doing things like you feel drawn to go to daily mass? Mm -hmm. That's really important. If that's there and you are already going to daily mass and you find that to be uh, nourishing and almost addictive uh, and, and you, you find yourself saying, oh, you know, I really do want to go to confession a little bit more often and now you're going to confession not just once a month but, you, you know, maybe when you, you, you know, just to improve yourself. You're, in other words, you see, a, a, you know, that your devotional life, your, your liturgical life, your sacramental life, it's beginning to increase. You feel drawn to more. That's a second good sign. If that's the case, now go to the third thing. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at your life and you start thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute here. I mean, let's face it, my religion is kind of the center of my life. That's like it's really the most important thing in my life. I mean, if that's the, the idea that's starting to come up about, not mm -hmm. just that my religion is good or great, but it's like my religion is really, really important, like oh, highest priority or within two or three, you know, maybe there's mm -hmm. two highest priorities, or even though that's a logical mm -hmm. inconsistency. But anyway, the, the long and short of it is, though, if, if you're getting up to that stage where it's a real central element or the central element of your life, and you're thinking to yourself, oh, man, I... Maybe I should become a priest. Ask yourself one thing, though. Do you need depth relationships with a person so that you are sharing yourself 
very intimate, intimately with her mm -hmm. uh, or with that person in your life and, and you need know, a family where there's kids, where there's back and forth depth intimacy that's going on hmm. with that person. Or when you uh, think about it, do you feel like you're called by Christ not so much to have the depth relationships, but more the breadth relationships mm -hmm. that you're called upon to share your gifts of religion and even your gifts of empathy and your gifts of goodness and love. You know, you're called to share that with a whole raft of people like Jesus would be doing mm -hmm. on his mission trips. You know, you feel like maybe I'm supposed to touch lots and lots of people or, you know, I have a kind of a direct uh, access to them. I'm not mm -hmm. sort of impeded by having to, you know, if, if you have, or if you're married, right, your number one priority has got to be your spouse and your kids. So you, that's just the way right. it is. Right. Whereas if you're not married, your number one priority is to God and his flock. Now, if that is the case, and you say, I'm a breadth person, I feel like I'm being called uh, not so much to intimacy, but to share what I have with a, a wide range, a big flock, you know, then I would say, wow, I would immediately start mm -hmm. going to a spiritual, uh, finding a spiritual director. The best way of doing that is to contact mm -hmm. the vocations. If you're interested in a diocesan vocation, then you go to the vocations director of the diocese. If you're interested in a religious vocation, that's like with the Jesuits or the Dominicans or the Franciscans or whatever, the Norbertines, then you would go to um, a vocation director for that religious group. Now you probably say, well, how would I know, mm -hmm. you know, which one I'm called to? One of the main things is you got to make four decisions, and I'll just be quick about it. Mm -hmm. First, that you have to discriminate between do I want to work in a specific locale or do I want to be available to a lot of locales? Mm -hmm. Like for me, right, as a Jesuit, I've been everywhere. I've been assigned to Rome. I've been assigned to Washington, D.C. I've been assigned to Seattle. I've been assigned to Spokane, assigned to Orange County. I'm everywhere, mm -hmm. right? So I don't have a specific locale. But if you think, no, I want to be in Orange County or wherever it may be, that specific locale, that's where my family is, That's where, and I just feel called here. That diocesan priesthood is probably where the Lord's calling you. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you think, no, I want to go where God needs me most, mm -hmm. right? Um, then uh, that's the first right. decision you got to make. That would be more religious. The second decision you have to make is, well, what kind of a, uh, of a ministry do I want to have? Or do I want to go with the contemplative life? So, uh, for example, do I want to be praying in a specific monastery, contemplative, uh, really before the active and, and contemplative, uh, you know, to a much greater degree than the active? If that's the case, you want to look for a contemplative religious order. If, on the other hand, you think, no, I want the intellectual mm -hmm. life, maybe you want to choose a religious order with a lot of schools and colleges. Or if you say, I want to be in the missions, mm -hmm. I want to go to Africa or whatever, then you go to a 
religious mm. order that has lots of missions, etc. So you have to sort of sort of look into yourself, make these decisions, and say, you know, probably I should be looking at religious orders like this, or I should be looking at the diocese of X, or I should be looking at a monastery here. And and the main thing is, is if you can actually get those things sort of done, mm -hmm. then you can know well which religious. Uh, what uh, spiritual director do I want to contact? What vocations director do I want to contact? Once mm -hmm. you make a contact with a vocation director of a religious order or a diocese, they will probably recommend uh, a spiritual director to you, one or two of them. Uh, you know, and generally, mm -hmm. if you're on a campus or something like that, then they'll recommend right. that you go okay. to, um, you know, one that's nearby the campus. Okay, very good. And in, in closing. 15 minutes or so, let's get on to Satan's mm -hmm. Tactics, uh, page 212. But I wanted to ask you, uh, since we this question came up, what w and you talk about here about the idea, it's not unusual for us to have propensities towards more than one deadly sin. Frequently, these stronger propensities connected with the level of happiness and quote-unquote life, we're talking about mm -hmm. temptation to some degree. What, what do yeah. you think the greatest temptation that, let's say, the devil uses on young men considering the priesthood? Well, first of all, um, you know, when you're considering the priesthood, the assumption, St. Ignatius, as I have said before, splits everything into first week and second week. Mm -hmm. If you're a first week person, you're still really susceptible uh, to just going kind of after, the, you know, the major deadly sins mm -hmm. and, you know, kind of the least provocation toward a temptation, and you're there. Um, whereas in the second week, you are actively resisting those deadly sins. Even though you might be vulnerable and you fail at them, you're actively resisting. That's mm -hmm. not where you want to go. And you have a prayer life that's going to support strength in your resistance to that temptation. In other words, your prayer life is strong enough that you have a love of the Lord and a love of Mary where you're going to say, I don't really want to disappoint them. You know, I got to stop this. Or when the temptation comes, you can kind of, you might entertain it for, you know, a minute or two and then go, Weak. you know, I, this is ridiculous. So inconsistent with, um, you know, my love for God, my love for the Mary, the, the Holy Spirit, the Lord. And so you just kind of flick it up. Now, that's the second week. Now, the presumption is, and your spiritual director, I assure you, is going to try. That's what his job is, right, mm -hmm. is to figure out, you know, are you a first-week guy still or a second-week guy? And, you know, he's going to try and probe a little bit to find out whether you're actively resisting or not, whether you do have that kind of spiritual life that's got some kind of affective uh, depth uh, of your love with mm -hmm. um, the Lord and, and Mary. If you do, then if you're a person of the second week, then he, you know, what does the devil do? The devil tries to do two things with you in the second week. The first thing he's going to try and do is try and rationalize off the deadly sins that you are most vulnerable to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's not good enough just to plant an image, you know, so if lust is your problem, plant an image that will tempt you. Or if greed is your problem, plant an image of a nice car or something that you can be greedy about in your mind and off you go, you know, and so forth and so on. So it's not just that, you know, he's going to also, he has to give you the rationalization because mm -hmm. you're, you're fighting him 
one. And so he's got to say, hey, everybody's doing it. Mm -hmm. Or, hey, take it easy. I mean, you're so far ahead of the crowd here, <laughs> you know, and, and so forth and so on. So he's going to try and always give you some thought <clears throat> that you don't have to really worry. You're so far ahead of the crowd mm -hmm. comparatively. And that's not the right logic. The right logic is not where do I stand with respect to the crowd, right? My The logic's got to be, I love Mary. I love the Lord. I love um, the church. I love my calling. I want to please you, dear Lord. I want to please you, Mary. So that's the way to think about it, not, and of course, also, I fear doing any harm to anybody, and I fear doing harm to the church, and so that's another reason right. I want to resist. So those are the, that's the logic you got to maintain, mm -hmm. but the first thing he's going to do is he's going to give you the whole line of, you are so far ahead. I mean, you got to look back in the rearview mirror so far you can't even see. So, I mean, let me tell you, you got plenty of room to sin. Mm -hmm. You got plenty of room for error. When you start hearing these things going right. on, you know, it's elementary to a person who's been around the block a few times. But if you haven't, this one is always the first line right. that the devil will take. But then the second line uh, that the devil will take is to get you to give up. So the point is, let's suppose you've been actively resisting the devil. And now you've gotten to the point where you're pretty good. You know, you, you've batted these things off within a minute or two. You, you regretted it. You turned to the Lord. You tried to restore your prayer life. Everything's going great. And then you fail. And then, of course, the <laughs> devil just turns on you at that moment. You weak little bumpkin. Right, <laughs> and right, you thought right. you could be a priest. You think you can be a model and an example? Look at you. So in other words, the whole time he's been tempting you, and then when you fall for the temptation, he smashes you into the ground and then, of course, smashes you some more. To do what? To get, make you so discouraged that you will give up. That is his whole tactic. I just can't do it. I'm a miserable failure. And I, I, as hard as I try, look, I've failed. But what he's not telling you, of course, is, hey, you failed one time in three weeks. And before you started trying to resist this, you were failing once a day. Hey, things have changed. But he's not pointing that out to you. Mm -hmm. He just wants you to see, he wants you to think, I'm making no progress. I'm back to where I started. All right. these lies, right? The st stone of Sisyphus has rolled over right, me. Right. What can I, you know, I'm all done. So, so that's his second major tactic. And of course, his third major tactic is given to us by St. Paul. Mm -hmm. And remember, he says that the devil will come uh, appearing like an angel of light. So in other words, he's going to come to you with a suggestion that's way too much for you to do. Mm -hmm. But you're trying to be a priest. You're trying to be, uh, you know, a, a, a person, you know, out of your love for God. You want to, you know, be the best shepherd to the flock you can be. You're motivated to want to help the church and mm -hmm. to grow the kingdom of God. And so these things are on your mind. And so you're thinking to yourself, my gosh, I've, I, you know, I, I just got to do better. And the right. devil is right there at your elbow. You could do better. Mm -hmm. And as a matter of fact, 
you could basically you know, find whatever X you want, right? You could do, uh, resist this temptation that you have been uh, subject to. You could just get it out of your mind completely. If you really wanted, if you were really serious about your vocation, why, you would just not have these thoughts anymore. And look at you. I mean, the whole point, of course, is, you know, uh, he wants you to have, you know, the minute you say, okay, I won't have these thoughts anymore. That's my resolution. And then within 10 minutes, the thoughts are creeping in. You're trying to hold them back. You disgusting little poor, you know, uh, rat, mm -hmm. you know, look at you. <laughs> you can't even keep them out of your mind for a few minutes. Mm -hmm. You're a miserable failure. Right. Then the discouragement and the despair right. and giving up. So the point, of course, he's always going to come to you with, as Chesterton would say, an exaggeration of the truth. Right. That's the that second part is really important. Yeah, the truth is I should want to get better. Right. The truth is I should want to make improvements. But he's going to say right. make improvements that you can't possibly make in any realistic time and right. then he's going to say and do it next week right. or do it right now and then of course when you fail miserably he's just you know uh, laughing hideously right. at you and of course you you, you get discouraged so right. those are Absolutely. the main things that well, it's, uh, the they always said paper. right they always said a heresy is the exaggeration of one truth at the expense of another I mean so that's right we end up with those kind of things the yeah, other thing right. you point out on page 213, kind of you know, gluttony, lust, greed, etc., you talk about these kinds of addictions seem to start uh, as a kind of self-medication for stress, depressed, and bored dispositions, then they get out of hand. That's, I mean, yeah. this is like the poster child for what we're dealing with in the last two years, right? Oh, 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 absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I mean, this is, and, uh, you know, that's, uh, that's more or less the devil's plot for the culture in mm -hmm. general. And, and, of course, for people both of the first week and the second week. So, uh, I mean, the first attack of, uh, that he's going to say is, hey, you've been working hard. You owe it to yourself. Or, you know, wow, I'm so bored sitting here, you know, I'm COVID, you know, sec uh, secluded, you know, et cetera. I owe it to myself. Mm -hmm. Or, hey. Uh, turn on the computer, you know, pure ecstasies, but a step away as the ads, you know, uh, come on, you know, would say, et cetera, et cetera. And so all of these things, these poor people today, they are being bombarded. And if you turn on the Internet, you cannot escape it. There's so much spam, and it's just put out there, and it's put out there, you know, in front of you, and, and even if you're trying to avoid it, the best thing you can do is get a spam um, a blocker, you know, or the, you know, right. uh, and sometimes the clutter box will do it automatically for mm -hmm. you because it can pick up words, you know, that'll, you know, shove it into a, another uh, junk folder. But the main thing, though, is if you can get a blocker like that, that helps maybe with the, um, the internet stuff, but still, mm -hmm. the boredom stuff, as you already said, Doug, mm -hmm. uh, that is really a, a big killer. And then the whole idea of, hey, I owe it to myself. Mm -hmm. I've worked hard. Well, the whole, uh, you know, it's the devil who's always saying, you've done enough. And that's why Jesus gives that strange parable, right, where he says, hey, your attitude ought to be, even after you worked like 14 hours, you know, uh, today, uh, we've just done what we were, ex we're just unworthy servants. We've only done what we were expected to do.
And if we've got that attitude of, Lord, I just want to serve you, I want to do the most I can with what I have, mm -hmm. right? If we've got that attitude, it's pretty, um, it'll be just fine because then you, you, you basically say, okay, I worked a hard day, mm -hmm. but I don't need to say, because I did it, I get two more jolts of joy from five single malt scotches, God. or I get two more jolts of joy from whatever your jolt of joy thing is. Mm -hmm. But that's the devil's logic always. You owe it to yourself. I mean, just go right ahead. Mm -hmm. Now, sometimes, you know, of course, you want a break and so forth, but be careful about trying to, after you've had a tough day, you know, okay, have a beer, you know, whatever. But be careful about, well, uh, you know, I need five beers. That, that would really help. You know, I mean, it's when you start exaggerating that Epicurean pull of just, you know, um, you know uh, I'll just take a few more things because uh, pleasure compensates for the pain I've dealt with, mm -hmm. you know, or I've done, a, I've done more than a day's work. I should have more than a day's pleasure. Beware of that because it goes into hedonism real, real fast. Right, yeah, we've got to be careful of those joy jolts or whatever you've got yeah. going on out there. <laughs> exactly. With that yeah. being said, we're going we're gonna to jolt the audience into ending the program. So if you would like uh, <laughs> give good. us your blessing Very on the good. way out, door, Father, that'd be great. Very Thanks. good. And bow your heads and pray for God's blessing. And may the Lord who truly is unconditional love, the Lord who is truly unconditional wisdom, who protects you through his Holy Spirit, protects you through the communion of saints, give you the wisdom and the discernment to know where the, whole, where the evil spirit may be leading you and to resist that and to help others resist it who are in this culture that is filled with every form of temptation. May you be a great apostle for Christ in that wisdom in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father Spencer. Always a pleasure. We shall see you next week. And don't forget, Father Spencer's books are always available through our EWTN Religious Catalog. Also wonderful videos as well. Next week, we'll continue discussing customizing temptation. And we've got our EWTN bookmark, Mystery of the Altar, Daily Meditations on the Eucharist by Ken Howell. Special time on Sunday, 8 a.m. Eastern Time. Check it out. And we've got the Solemnity of Corpus Christi Mass Procession from the Shrine of the Most Blessed Sacrament. This is Mother's Shrine. You can't miss it. Sunday, June 19th, 10 a.m. Eastern. Check it out. Check us out next time right here when we once more enter Father Spitzer's universe. Thanks. <laughs>